Thank you again for coming this morning. It must have been a real ragtag group that returned to Jerusalem in the year 539 before Christ. Jerusalem had been the apple of God's eye. It was the holy city. It's where the temple stood. It's where the priests did their thing. Marriages had been there. Bar mitzvahs had been there. People had been baptized there because the Jews also baptized. It was God's city. Because of Jewish rebellion, in the year 586 before Christ, the Babylonians had totally destroyed the city. They had killed, massacred a lot of people, and many of them they carried off into captivity. They were in exile. And then God appeared to a new emperor, Cyrus, Persian emperor. And he said to Cyrus, I want you to send the people back, and I want them to rebuild my house, my house of Jerusalem. And so just about 50,000 Jews left the areas of Iraq and Iran, as we would call them today, and they made the long journey back. It must have been a ragtag group. When they got there, their eyes of flesh saw rubble, coyotes running around. You've seen the old photographs of Atlanta or Richmond, Virginia after the Civil War, or Berlin or Tokyo after World War II. That's what Jerusalem looked like. Rats and buzzards and vultures. But with their eyes of faith, they were able to see a whole lot more than that. So the books of Ezra and Nehemiah give us the history of the return of the Israelites. It would take them a hundred years to rebuild the city, a hundred years. But Psalm 126 gives us what the eyes of faith actually saw. There's a real discrepancy between Ezra and Nehemiah and the description of this broken down hill of Zion. And what Psalm 26 says they sang as they went back. I want to talk about that discrepancy for a moment. Let me read to you what the Israelites saw when they returned from Psalm 126. This is one of my favorite texts. I love this text. Psalm 126. You want to remember this one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like people who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them, and the Lord has done great things for us, and we're filled with joy. So restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the desert. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying their sheaves with them. No matter how destroyed the city looked to the human eye, returning from their exile, no matter how small, no matter how feeble, no matter how irrelevant some of these people really were to the bigger scheme of things, with their eyes of faith they could see that God was going to do something amazing when He brought His people out of exile. Exile. That's been my metaphor. For at least 10 weeks, many of us have felt as though we're in exile. Exile in our community, exile in our country, exile to our homes, exile from things that we love. Grandparents who haven't been able to see their grandchildren now in two and a half months, and it's hurting. People who had to put serious plans on hold, vacations, but even more so. We've put weddings on hold, we've put funerals on hold. 
We've had to say goodbye to people that we loved with very little opportunity to give them the honor that they deserve. We've missed important dates like our graduations. We've really been tested in a lot of ways. We've missed sleep. We've been exposed many times to our deep fears and our anxieties and had to look at ourselves deeply in ways we hadn't done before. For a lot of us, it's been a period of exile. For the church, for North Boulevard, it's been a time of exile. I've said to you repeatedly how proud I am of this church. I'm really proud of you guys. And I, I always knew I loved you, but now I know how I love you even more than I thought. But it's been hard on us. Um, I read a tweet the other day that said, the people of God should be the last ones to open up so that they can love their neighbor well. I don't want to attack the tweet. Somebody's just trying to be thoughtful. It's okay. We all tweet. If you tweet, you tweet something dumb every now and then. But let me say this. For some of us, the heart yearns to come back together as the people of God and to sing praises to God. My heart aches for it. I've yearned for it. And I think this could be the beginning of God returning us, not just at North Boulevard, but you in your life from a period of exile, just as he did to the children of Israel when he brought them out of their exile. Can I just draw a few lessons here from this restoration? Because that's what it was. We're not the first to use the term restoration. It's a biblical term. That God oftentimes allows his people to go into exile, but the always, he always restores us. And He restores you. I want to make sure you get this. The reason God's going to restore you, you know why? It's because He loves you. He didn't just restore Jerusalem this time. God has over multiple times has restored His people. And He's not going to stop restoring His people until Jesus returns at the resurrection. And when He comes at the resurrection, everything will be finally and ultimately restored to the paradise it was always supposed to have been anyway. God is a God of restoration. He restores the fortunes of His people better than before, always better than before. That's who He is, and He does it because He loves you. He loves you. He is a Father who loves you. That's why He does it. It's the only reason He does it. You know, we like the idea of restoration. Some of you restore cars. Uh, some of you have followed the Gaineses, Chip and Joanna, who go in and restore some, maybe it's a house that's a little old, a little weathered, needs a little bit of help, and by the time they're done, it's gorgeous. They become millionaires through the art of restoration. Some of you like to restore uh, all sorts of things. We do all kinds of restoring. I have a, my hobby, it's an odd hobby. I may be the only one at North Boulevard who likes to restore ancient pottery. I just do. Actually, I actually have a picture of her. I'm going to show you in a minute of it. So there's something about restoring. There's something beautiful about restoring. I think one of the beauties of restoring is that it doesn't deny the fact that there's brokenness. So in order for there to be a restoration, there first has to be acknowledgement that something was broken, something's not what it should have been. The beauty of restoration is it's always an act of love. Restoration is an act of love. It's a way of saying to someone, I want, you, I want to make sure you're well. I want to make sure you're healed. So I want you to see a few things, a few truths in how God restores Israel to its fortunes. The first thing I want you to see is that I think the process of restoration is always a time of self-reflection. So I want to show you this pot. Let's see, can we get that picture of that pot up? Okay. 
So I have a friend in uh, Jerusalem. I've worked with him and his father. You've heard me talk about it probably. His, his dad was uh, Jamil Abouid, a very righteous man, a, a very, very, very uh, orderly Muslim friend of mine. I've known him for 30-something years. His son, Mahmoud Abouid, and I have done a lot of work together. Mahmoud's family has owned an antiquity shop in Jerusalem for six generations. It goes all the way back to the 1700s. And uh, because of our business, a couple of, about a year, probably a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago, Mahmoud asked me, took me into his antiquity shop. I, like, I love antiquities. I have a small collection. He said, pick anything you want. You pay for shipping. You have anything you want. And I'd been eyeing one of these huge, I guess you see on here it is, one of these huge Canaanite amphoras. So this amphora is 3,700 years old. It's literally a Canaanite amphora from the area of Hebron. It's going to be about this tall. So uh, I paid the shipping for it, and he sends it to me. It showed up about probably two months later. When I opened the box, it was in a thousand pieces. My, my heart sank, not because I'm worldly, I don't think I'm that worldly, but because I thought 3,700 years it survived until it gets to my house. So you know what I did? I spent the next year reassembling that thing, piece by piece, a thousand pieces, I reassembled that. And I had to buy some uh, files in order to file the edges down because I couldn't get them to fix, because when you put the glue in, it just spreads them just enough that the next piece won't fit. And so I had to file a thousand pieces down without breaking them. Sometimes they would break in your hands, the right kind of glue. I did all that, and let me tell you what I know. I now know a thousand times more about Canaanite amphora than the next guy does. Because when you do restoration, you have to pay close attention. You have to examine. All right, that's good with that picture. In the same way, as God is restoring His people, He's asking us to look deep down inside and examine ourselves. That's what He wants you to do with all of this. Some of you have been on hold. You've been in home. I was joking to somebody, we should, you know, in heaven they wear robes. We should have a robe Sunday because that's what you've been wearing for 10 weeks anyway to church. It's just your robe and your PJs, your finest PJs. Somebody told me this week they've been ironing their PJs so they could come to church with iron clothes on. But during all that lockdown, what God is saying to you is look deep inside. This is a time of introspection. This is a time to figure out what has been broken, what needed work, what really was weak in your life. This is a time for us to grab hold of the things that never were right anyway and to make them right. It's true in your marriage. This pandemic has exposed who a lot of us really are. Don't miss out the opportunity to do something good with that. Now I know who I am. I'd like to tell you all kinds of stories about what I'm discovering about myself, some good, some bad. One of them is that I like life more than I thought when I slow down. So the first week when we went on the pandemic was, for me, more work. Uh, some of the staff has continued to be more. And then the last month and a half, there just had not been that many meetings. It's just slowed down some. And I just decided, you know what? Life's actually pretty good when you're not always running and doing stuff. I also discovered that I'm right that close to a food addiction. That's not a joke. You can laugh. I, actually, it's okay to laugh, but at the end of the day, I just realized, wow, if you put me around food and I can't get away from it, it's going to be a problem for me. So you might have noticed that. I, I have noticed that sitting down kind of pushes it all forward. And so, yes, I've noticed that too. This is a time for us to be introspective. When God called the Israelites back, He continually explained to them, this is why you went into exile, and this is what I'm doing. 
When you read the story of Israel, what you'll discover is they had constant problems with idolatry, constant. Go back and read 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. Every day of the year, it was a new idol until the Babylonian captivity. After the Babylonian captivity, you never again read of idols in Israel. It was done. So God used that captivity and the restoration to cleanse the people of something they shouldn't have had anyway. God is saying something to you about your marriage, something about your pride, something about your love for this world. God is saying something to you. Listen to Him. This is a time for introspection. Second, here's something else I want you to see. God has a thing. He starts small to end big. I don't know why God prefers this, but if you look in the Bible, God generally starts small in order to end big. At this return, 50,000 people came back. That's of the several million people who were either annihilated or taken off as POWs by first the Assyrians and then later by the Babylonians. 50,000 come back as a ragtag group. When they come back to Jerusalem, if you remember, if you read the book of Ezra, in the third chapter of Ezra, I think it's down about verse 12, they, they start rebuilding the temple. So that's the first thing they did. Before they rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the temple. But it took them 20 years, not just because they were slow and it had to be done by hand and they didn't have mortar, they didn't use mortar, they just had to pile the rocks up, but also because they had opposition. And in the opposition, they just quit working on it for a while. In fact, there are a couple of prophets in the Old Testament whose exclusive job was to tell the people, get back to work. And when they finally laid that foundation, Ezra 3 verse 12 says, some of the old people cried because they remembered the glory of the previous temple, a white building with gold columns. It was the pride of the Middle East, stood on a mountain high above all other buildings in Jerusalem, the pride of the Middle East. And they could remember what it used to look like. I mean, I thought about that. Y'all remember just before we went into exile as a congregation here, I think we had 2,100 people between all the campuses. The singing knocked the roof off. We were this far from sealing the deal on a fundraiser to start 16,000 churches out of 67,428,000. 000, I mean, it was like on go, build a build. Everything was on go. And then all of a sudden, 130 at this campus, I think it's 40 at West Campus, and it's 20 at Smyrna Laverne today. But I just remind you, God has a preference for starting small and ending big. That's just what God does. He starts small. He calls one man, Abraham. He calls 12 disciples. He sends one prophet out. He has Jesus born in a manger, in a stable. God just sometimes starts small so he can end big. I got to interview Mean Wang in the brown bag lunch this past week. By the way, I'm interviewing Renee Sproul this Wednesday, and I want to invite you to come. We're talking about a vision of, of uh, Christian manhood and womanhood. She'll, she'll do a good job. Ming Wang grew up in the cultural uh, revolution of China. It was a terrible, terrible time. Many, many people, millions of people were killed. And his family made $15 a month, the equivalent of $15 a month, but his parents had a vision for him. Eventually, by learning to play music, he was not sent off to a labor camp. He made his way to the United States of America with an English-Chinese dictionary and $50 in his pocket. From there, he ended up with a medical degree from Harvard University and a PhD in laser physics from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and is now world-renowned eye surgeon and such a gentleman, such a loving person. 
And as he was telling this story the other day, I just thought, that's what God does. He starts small. So you may think right now, everything's small. I didn't get… We, we have people whose whole lives have been on hold. Adoptions. Adoptions that are on hold. Remember, God starts small, but He ends big. Jerusalem was restored a small town, but when you go to Revelation 21, God says, I'm going to send a, a, a Jerusalem so big, so impressive that they use gold for asphalt. He starts small. He ends big. And I want to say this too. God's restoration is sometimes a reminder that we were really never supposed to love this world anyway. I want to be nuanced here. So the Bible says, do not love this world or anything that's in this world. If anyone loves uh, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. John does not mean don't love the people of the world. We're supposed to love people. He even doesn't mean that we should just avoid this world and go, you know, go off into a cloister or a monastery or something like that. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Jeremiah actually speaks to the exile, and he says something very impressive Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 29 and verse 12. So the Israelites are in exile, and Jeremiah says, while you're in your foreign city waiting for your return, go on and settle down. Go on and get married. Go on and start businesses. While you're in exile, Jeremiah says, it's okay for you to seek the prosperity of the city in which you live. So I'm not suggesting that those of you who are trying to raise good kids and kids, you know, who are good in, in, in sports or in school, and those of you who are trying to establish good, strong, healthy businesses, you know, those who are, you, are trying to get ahead, I'm not suggesting that's wrong. That's a good thing to do. But what I am suggesting is this. Use this world as a cheap motel on your way to the renewal of creation that Jesus will bring at the resurrection. That's what he says. He says in Matthew 19 that at the renewal of all things, there is a second world coming. I don't even know. What, I don't know how to describe it. Is it this world renewed? Is it, is it paradise restored? Is it, does this world burn up and it's a replacement world for this one? However you want to describe it, what I can tell you is we really are pilgrims and sojourners in this broken world headed for another. The problem occurs when we stop at a flea bag motel and try to turn that into our final destiny. Don't. Your final destiny is not this broken world. Your final destiny is a renewed creation. Maybe God has used this pandemic to say, you shouldn't have fallen that much in love with this world anyway. Get your priorities right. I'm reminded of Hebrews 11, where the Hebrew writer goes through all these heroes of faith, and he says, he says a couple of things about them. It's really worth reading, starting at verse 10 and going down for the next six or seven verses. He says, they understood that they were only strangers and pilgrims in this world. They knew that. He says this about them. They were seeking a better city, a heavenly city. Sure, they sojourned. They lived in tents. Sure, they stayed here. But they stayed here looking for something better. Can I read to you one other text? It's Psalm 137. So Psalm 126 describes the vision that the Israelites had when they were returning. Psalm 137 describes the horrors of their captivity. Down by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. We remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, our captors, our captors asked us to sing songs. Sing us the song of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And then it's verse 5 I want you to hear. 
If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you and consider you, O Jerusalem, my highest joy. What's being said in Psalm 137 is, I may have to settle in Babylon for 50 years, but I will never forget where I'm going. It's okay to settle here. It's okay to have successful business. It's good to do those things, but never forget where we're going. And to that end, I want to sing to you a song that's meant a lot to me. Now, I haven't sung in front of a live audience before. None of us knows what to expect, but I do want to sing you a song. We don't know much about this song or the author. It was written, we think, just before the Civil War. The guy who wrote it is a guy named Isaac Carman. Uh, Michael Strickland can probably go out there and give us all we need to know. I think Michael actually discovered the rings around Saturn, maybe. No kidding, I was reading a Fox News report, or I don't know who it was, some news report uh, maybe a year or so ago, there's these mysterious tunnels hiding underneath the city of uh, Tampa, I think, in Florida. And it said some historian had solved the riddle of these mysterious tunnels, and I'm reading about it. It's our own member, Michael Strickland, so he probably can figure this out. Michael's here today, too. But this song was one of the songs that figured in prominently to my childhood. I can hear the voices of the people who raised me and loved me in church singing this song. Can I just sing it to you? I'll just sing a verse or two. Here we are but straying pilgrims here. Our path is often dim. But to cheer us on our journey still, we sing this wayside hymn. Yonder over the rolling river where the shining mansions rise Soon will be our home forever and the smile of the blessed giver gladdens all our longing eyes. Here our feet are often weary on the hills that throng our way. Here the tempest darkly gathers, but our hearts within us say, Yonder over the rolling river. Here our souls are often fearful of the pilgrim's lurking foe, but the Lord is our defender, and He tells us we may know. I just think maybe this could be the beginning of us coming out of this exile. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us does. Hey, we have to be prepared for the fact that in two weeks we can't have another service for a while. We have to be prepared for that. We have to be prepared for whatever happens. But I can say this, God has a return, a restoration for us that will be miraculous. He has it for you, for your family. No matter what you've been through, He's calling you to do something. He wants you to recognize that this is a good time for you to say, Lord, make me new. Make me new. That this is a good time for you to say, all right, I know the Lord starts small, but He will end big, and He will end big. One day we're going to get back in this building, and we are going to blow the roof off. By the way, I have a friend preached in Scotland for years. They built a new building. Their first Sunday in a new building, you don't think that Scotland has tornadoes. They do have small little twisters. The first Sunday in their new building, a twister blew through while they were singing their opening song and blew the roof off. I was always able to tell Billy after that, hey, Billy, I wish I had a church who would blow the roof off. 
That's going to happen. We start small, we end big. And then remind ourselves, we were never really supposed to get that attached to this world anyway. God's going to do something with this, my friends. He's going to do something. He's going to pull a miracle out of this. Such a pleasure to be here with my brothers and sisters. I'll say a little bit more about that, but let me just say this. Our God is an awesome God. This is not going to last forever. And on the other end, there's going to be some blessing so beautiful, so astonishing. Well, I'll just put it in the words of the psalm. That those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, bringing in the sheaves. Let's sing our song.